Peace be upon you. Um, in a previous podcast, we discussed the uh, psychology that God uses in the Quran uh, to sway the human being towards righteousness. Uh, this is going to be part two of that discussion. And um, it's worth, you know, starting off with the idea that if God willed, he could make everyone a believer. But God wants to choose for ourselves the right path. In 1331, it reads, even if the Quran caused mountains to move or the earth to tear asunder or the dead to speak, they will not believe. God controls all things. Is it not time for the believers to give up and realize that if God willed, he could guide all the people? And in 1311, it reads, shifts of angels take turns staying in front, uh, staying with each of you. They're in front of you and behind you. They stay with you and guard you in accordance with God's commands. Thus, God does not change the condition of any people unless they themselves make the decision to change. If God wills any hardship for any people, no force can stop it, for they have none beside him as Lord and Master. So God is telling us repeatedly that, you know, if he willed, he could make every single human being a believer. But the way the system works is that we are supposed to choose for ourselves if we choose to believe or not. And God gives us, you know, every reason, all the logic, all the examples to believe Yet, you know, human beings were the most argumentative creature. In 1854, it reads, Disbelievers refuse to accept the completeness of the Quran. It says, We have cited in the Quran every kind of example, but the human being is the most argumentative creature. So God provides us with verses that if we use in isolation, uh, can cause someone to go into disbelief and further into disbelief. And at the same time, that a believer, someone who uh, has real faith, uh, can read that verse and move towards righteousness. And this is the system that God designed, is that God is going to lead us by virtue of our belief. Whatever it is that we believe, in essence, we're going to basically confirm that belief. And if our belief, our intentions are noble and good, God is going to bring that out. And if our intentions are ill and uh, detrimental, then that's the uh, reality we're going to face. And in the previous podcast, we discussed the topics of bad language, anger, and spousal abuse. And uh, this one, we're going to talk about some, uh, some of the other uh, remaining uh, topics that uh, come to mind when it comes to uh, God employing psychology to move us towards righteousness. And uh, in each of these cases, God speaks to us in a, with an issue with these items in a manner that will sway us, you know, not to carry out our old behavior. Because in the past, you know, when we came to the message, we have a lot of baggage, right? Uh, years of uh, cultural uh, issues that we've, uh, we deal with that aren't Quranic years of bad habits that we've accumulated throughout the years. And each one of these, you know, we have to, in essence, fix. And God tells us that if we're able to become uh, submitters, uh, that despite our baggage, that the reward for us is going to be that much greater. And it, this is spelt out in uh, 56, 10 through 14. It says, then there is the elite of the elite. They are those who will be closest to God in gardens of bliss. Many from the first generations, few from later generations. Meaning if we are one of the first generations to fix our ways, to come to God's message, that the reward for us will be that we will be part of the elite of the elite, the upper echelon of righteousness. And if we can achieve that, that's something that is limited to, you know, many from the first generations and few from later generations. I mean, that if we can come to the message and eradicate this bad behavior, these bad practices that we've accumulated throughout all the years, uh, the reward for us will be that much better. You know, so someone uh, who's raised with the mentality of worshiping God alone, doing their contact prayers, not setting up idols beside God, has an easier time accepting the message than uh, someone who, you know, spent their life in darkness. And the purpose of the Quran, as spelled out in 6511, is to bring the believers out of darkness into the light. It, re it reads, a messenger who recites you God's revelations clearly to lead those who believe and work righteousness out of darkness into the light. 
Anyone who believes in God and leads a righteous life, he will admit him into gardens with flowing streams. They abide therein forever. God will generously reward him. You know, because of this, God has mercy on us and provides us with step-by-step instructions to break out of our old habits. You know, God doesn't expect us that overnight we're just going to become these, you know, uh, perfect human beings and never sin. And God understands that. And God gives us, you know, basically the best psychology to break ourselves from our bad habits and uh, not to basically be limited to the uh, thoughts that we had at the days of ignorance. In 3154 it reads, After the setback, he sent down upon you a peaceful slumber that pacified some of you. Others among you were selfishly concerned about themselves. They harbored thoughts about God that were not right. The same thoughts they harbored during the days of ignorance. Thus, they said, is anything up to us? Say, everything is up to God. So, you know, we have to break these uh, thoughts that we've had from the days of ignorance as far as our viewpoints of how life works, how uh, society works, how, you know, we treat one another and correct that with what God expects from us. And uh, unfortunately, you know, some people, they focus solely on step one and negate steps two, three, and four. And uh, they say that, you know, uh, the Quran is incomplete, that it's uh, lacking and this and that. And the thing is, the Quran requires a persistent uh deliberate practice, meaning that we we don't just take it from surface level. We have to go deep and truly understand what is it that God expects from us. And it's a book that you can read literally an innumerable amount of times and still be able to uh, perfect ourselves and our belief uh, each time we we read it and we extrapolate from it. And, um, you know, a lot of people, they they take these these, uh, verses in isolation and they spread all kinds of misconceptions about the Quran. And this isn't just among the people who are, you know, quote-unquote, uh, atheists and agnostics and people who ridiculed the religion. This comes very prevalent in the Muslim community at large. Uh, you know, Muslims constantly are spreading all kinds of heinous practices of uh, stoning adulteresses, honor killing, temporary marriages, and just all this, uh, you know, this vile activity, and they attribute it to the Quran. And when confronted with uh, an argument, they usually come up with the, uh, the excuse uh, that God did not specifically prohibit this act, you know, say, for instance, like a temporary marriage. Uh, but God doesn't need to, you know, God can basically resort to a blanket statement and uh, prohibit all kinds of vice, right? God doesn't need to go and specifically say, you know, uh, every item that one can steal. God can flat out just prohibit stealing at large, and that pretty much takes care of all these uh, these uh, vices that people are uh, attributing to the Quran, because people are looking for the direct, you know, word for word spelling that you know such and such is prohibited or such and such shouldn't uh, take place. And the thing is, if that's the case, then the Quran would be volumes and volumes long. And God actually has a response from this, and it's in thirty one twenty seven. It reads, "These are all the words we need." It says, "If all the trees on earth were made into pens, and the ocean supplied the ink." augmented by seven more oceans, the words of God would not run out. God is almighty, most wise. And my takeaway from this is that if God wanted to, God could make the Quran volumes and volumes long to the point that literally if the oceans were ink and you augmented it by seven more oceans, that God's words could continue on and on. And it's a blessing from God that he gives us these 114 chapters, uh, these 6,234 verses, and this contains all the information we need for our salvation. Meaning that if we ever have a moral dilemma, if we ever have a uh, question in regards to our integrity, our character, uh, that has to do with our salvation, we can find it in the Quran. Um, that God didn't need to go and spell out every single case, every single scenario. That God can provide us with uh, the, you know, 
minimal amount of information for us to be able to extrapolate the greater meaning from. Uh, that when God says aggression is only permitted against the aggressors, he doesn't have to go and spell out every single case where someone can be an aggressor. In 18109, it reads the Quran, everything we need. Say, if the ocean were ink for the words of my Lord, the ocean would run out before the words of my Lord run out, even if we doubled the ink supply. So it's a blessing from God because if that was the case, we would never be able to complete the Quran uh, in you know any human being's lifetime. Uh, and the fact that God has made it in such a condensed book uh, and put all the information we need, uh, we should be happy and satisfactory for that. And we should always, always be looking at the verses uh, to get a deeper, richer understanding and not looking at the verses strictly in isolation. So this week, God willing, we're going to look at the topics of slavery, uh, intoxicants, uh, and uh, gambling, and try to get a deeper understanding of the verses in the Quran uh, on these topics. And these are typically topics that are constantly being uh, uh, mis uh, misconstrued and twisted, and inshallah we can get a deeper uh, understanding, and God willing, the right understanding. Uh, so the first topic uh, we're going to discuss is this, uh, the item of uh, slavery. And um, one of the questions is that, you know, why didn't God in the Quran just from the very first verse prohibit slavery outright? You know, it's a heinous act and it's something that needs to be abolished. You know, why didn't God just write a verse? And, you know, obviously God is not to be questioned about anything he's done, but what we can do is learn from the tactic that God has employed to why he did uh, carry out the way that he did. Uh, that God didn't prohibit slavery from the verse first, but God created a system that will abolish slavery. Because the reality is that from the time of the Quran to, uh, you know, just in recent history, slavery was a common practice. And this is across all cultures and all uh, societies, and it's something that was carried on for millennia. And um, God created a system that would slowly eradicate uh, slavery in a very efficient manner without, in essence, uh, victimizing the, uh, the slaves who were put in that situation. And it's an interesting way to think about it, but the U.S. is a perfect example of this. You know, in 1865, when they finally uh, abolished uh, slavery in the United States, what happened to all those slaves who were all of a sudden, you know, uh, with no education, no food, no shelter, thrown out in the street and created into a second-class uh, second citizen? And you think about it is that these individuals were victimized, right? They were brought into a society with nothing. And they were fully dependent on their slave owners. And then all of a sudden they were told to, hey, go fend for yourself. And the society at large weren't of the mindset that these were equal uh, human beings to them. They still saw, saw the, the slave class as a lower class, as three-fifths of a human being. And this is something that for, you know, 100 uh, plus years has been in the detriment of society. Uh, that when you have, in essence, a class of individuals that are classified as slaves, uh, you have to, in essence, uh, fix the society at large as far as their mentality. And that's the system that God uh, employs. And the thing is, when an economy is so heavily dependent on slave labor, if you were to eliminate that over time, uh, basically, sorry, if you eliminate that immediately, that society at large, not just the slaves, but the overall society, uh, can completely fall apart. And it's one of these things that, in essence, the society, the economy, the people all have to move towards a society where it, uh, it condemns slavery. And, you know, thank God today we live in a society that, um, uh, you know, doesn't tolerate slavery. But uh, it's something that was a very uh, true, real part of our history. And, um, 
you know, God creates steps, in essence, to abolish slavery, and it's the most productive, efficient manner. And um, it creates a society that no, not only abolishes slavery, but creates an equal society for all the people. And the first thing that God does in the Quran to do this is to prohibit racism. And the first case of uh, racism was in the uh, uh, Great Feud, when Satan refused to serve the human being. And his response was, I am better than he. You created me from fire and created him from mud. And this is uh, spelt in 712 and in chapter 38, verse 76, where Satan says, I am better than he. You created me from fire and created him from clay. So Satan is sensing a sense of superiority. And God condemns Satan for this act and actually uh, sends him to, uh, to hell after his temporary respite. And additionally, you know, God tells us that we are all, all human beings, we're children of Adam. And it reads, O children of Adam, do not let the devil dupe you as he did when he caused the eviction of your parents from paradise and the removal of their garments to expose their bodies. He and his tribe see you while you do not see them. We appoint the devils as companions of those who do not believe, right? All human beings, we all originate from the children of Adam. Right? Adam and Eve were the mother and father of all human beings. And this shows a sense of oneness among the human being. Uh, Psalm 189 says, He created you from one person, Adam. Subsequently, he gives every man a mate to find tranquility with her. 689, He initiates you from one person and decided your path, as well as your final destiny. We thus clarify the revelations for people who understand. And... Um, you know, God is showing us that we are all from one individual, that we all share the same mother and father, that all human beings, uh, irrespective of their skin color, their ethnicity, their culture, anything, we all come from one human being. And uh, this is something to show a sense of unity. And in 49.13, it reads, O people, we created you from the same male and female and rendered you distinct peoples and tribes that you may recognize one another. It says, the best among you in the sight of God is the most righteous. God is omniscient, cognizant, right? By abolishing this, uh, the, uh, the mindset of racism, uh, God, in essence, is uh, dismantling the whole foundation of slavery because the vast majority of slavery is against a certain group of individuals, typically by their ethnicity, their color. Uh, these are the, the traits that people use to segregate. And God, in essence, is abolishing that act. And secondly, God basically condemns oppression and aggression. And slavery is definitely a form of oppression, especially when the slaves are not allowed to have their freedoms, which is the whole concept of slavery. Uh, I mean, if they can't believe the way they believe, talk the way they want to talk, uh, and uh, be able to live their lives in a manner that they seem fit, this is the very definition of oppression. And God tells us in the Quran in 2181 that oppression is worse than murder. So let's say, for instance, this uh, concept of a uh, you know uh, loving slave owner who's uh, kind and stuff among uh, his uh, uh, his uh, subordinates, uh, but you know that's not typically the case. A lot of times, in order to instill people into slavery, uh, a lot of aggression has to be used, and the the acts that were carried out throughout all cultures, all societies were quite heinous. And God condemns. Uh, any form of aggression. It says 2190, God does not love the aggressors. And in 2193, it says, you shall not aggress. Aggression is permitted only against the aggressors. Meaning that if you have a slave, you are not allowed to oppress them. You are not allowed to aggress against them. And it's funny, it's because you realize that if you have a slave, that is a form of oppression. And if someone who comes to the message, comes to the Quran, and comes to see this contradiction, they have a choice. 
Do they keep those slaves or do they let them uh, be free? And again, you see that God, in essence, is dismantling this platform of slavery and is fixing the society at large. And uh, in addition, you know, God creates every excuse to free a slave. Uh, and God gives us numerous examples in the Quran uh, of uh, different reasons and motivations why someone would want to free a slave. In 2.177, it says righteousness defined. It says righteous is not turning your faces towards the east and the west. Righteous are those who believe in uh, God, the last day, the angels, the scriptures, the prophets, and they give the money cheerfully to the relatives, the orphans, the needy, the traveling alien, the beggars, and to free the slaves. So God is saying those who are righteous give their money to free the slaves. You know, God is giving these people credits and giving them incentives to abolish this act. In 492, it says, No believer shall kill another believer unless it is an accident. If one kills a believer by accident, he shall atone by freeing a slave. Uh, so it says, and paying a compensation to the victim's family. So God, again, is saying, look, if an atonement for sin is freeing a slave. And we're seeing this, you know, repeatedly in regards to if there's a marital dispute, uh, one of the, uh, the atonements is to free a slave. And uh, in 589, it says, uh, God does not hold you responsible for the mere utterances of oaths. He holds you responsible for your actual intentions. If you violate an oath, you shall atone by freeing, feeding ten poor people from the same food you offer to your own family, or clothing them, or uh, by freeing a slave. So even if, you know, at the time when slavery was prevalent, if you broke an oath, one of the ways to atone for that sin is to free a slave. You know, so God is repeatedly giving every, you know, in so many verses that uh, one of the acts of the righteous, one of the ways to atone for your sins is to free a slave. In 960, it says, Charity shall go to the poor, the needy, the workers who collect them, the new converts, to free the slaves and those burdened by sudden expenses in the cause of God and to the traveling alien. So God, you know, again, is telling us that uh, if you want to give to charity, one of the, the most charitable things we can do is to free the slave. And, you know, uh, again, we're seeing this repeatedly, repeatedly, that this is the characteristic of a righteous person, is to free slaves. Uh, and again, the Quran came out through a span of 23 years, and during this time, it, it becomes virtually impossible to be a righteous individual and to have a slave. But at the same time, it doesn't victimize the slave who overnight, you know, will be thrown out uh, and uh, made to fend for themselves. Uh, they're basically classified as equal individuals to society. And um, this is seen in uh, 425. It says, those among you who cannot afford to marry free believing women may marry believing slave women. God knows best about your belief, and you are equal to one another as far as belief is concerned, right? So God is saying that, in essence, that uh, if uh, if you have a slave, that if you want to marry someone who's a slave, that uh, God is telling them that, you know, irrespective, that a slave and a free person is equal to one another as far as belief is concerned. And this is something that, you know, today is obvious, but at that time was absolutely revolutionary. And this goes throughout, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of years uh, in many societies that they did not think of slaves and the free people as uh, equal individuals. And, um, you know, God is telling us repeatedly that if someone wants to, uh, to in essence, get married who is a slave, uh, that not only are they uh, to be uh, granted their freedom, uh, but uh, that the uh, slave owner should compensate them uh, for uh, leaving. So repeatedly we're seeing that, you know, God created a system where uh, racism is abolished, uh, aggression and oppression is abolished, and in addition, every excuse is made to free a slave. And in 90 verse 11, 
through 18, it says, he should choose the difficult path. Which one is the difficult path? The freeing of the slave, uh, slaves, feeding during the time of hardship, orphans who are related, or the poor who is in need, and being one of those who believe in exhorting one another to be steadfast and exhorting one another to be kind. These have deserved happiness. So, you know, God willing, uh, we, you know, we've seen it that uh, in so many societies uh, that slavery has been abolished by this very uh, tactic uh, to change the people's mindset. And when we change the mindset of the people, the uh, society at large falls suit. You know, we cannot just overnight legislate morality. Uh, you can't all of a sudden pass a law and expect that everyone's belief is going to change. That takes time. It takes dedication. Uh, and it takes real faith. Um, so let's move on to the uh, the next topic, and this is in regards to uh, intoxicants. And one of the uh, arguments usually you hear in the Quran is that uh, some people, they pull one or two verses out of context, and they say that the Quran does not prohibit intoxication and uh, don't take every verse into uh, consideration. And this is best depicted in chapter 4, verse 43, where it reads, O you who believe, do not observe the contact per salat while intoxicated so that you know what you're saying. And I've heard a lot of people make the argument that say, uh, they'll pull this verse and say, see, uh, I can be intoxicated as long as I'm not doing my contact prayers, and uh, I just have to be sober by that time. And what's funny is the immediate next verse, so that was 443 and 444, it reads, have you noted those who received a portion of the scripture and how they choose to stray and wish that you stray from the path? Now, God knows that a lot of people come to, into the message uh, very dependent on substances, uh, be it alcohol, be it weed, be it any, uh, you know, illicit uh, drugs. And uh, God realizes that overnight, they're not going to be able to curb this addiction. Uh, and there's a process. So God's process is that while you're intoxicated, while you're intoxicated, do not perform your contact prayers. Now, most people, when they come to the message, aren't necessarily going to be doing all five contact prayers on time. Uh, you know, they might not get up for dawn. So if they're doing one prayer a day, hopefully that during that one prayer, they cannot be intoxicated uh, and eventually be two, three, four, and five. And God willing, they'll be to a point where they stop all forms of intoxication and can perform all five daily contact prayers. And this is the system. And uh, in addition, in 2.2.19, it says, they ask you about intoxicants and gambling. Say, in them, there's a gross sin and some benefits for the people but their sinfulness far outweighs the benefit. They also ask you about what to give to charity, the access, God thus clarifies the revelations for you that you may reflect. So I'm going to focus on the uh, the aspect where it says, in them there's a gross sin and some benefits for the people. And it says, but their sinfulness far outweighs their benefit. And a lot of people, they'll pull this first and say, see, there's uh, good things in uh, intoxicants. You know, it loosens me up, it takes off the stress, and uh, they take this first as justification for that. Uh, you know, what's wrong with a little red wine? Uh, it's good for the uh, heart and, you know, all this kind of like nonsense. And God is acknowledging, yeah, there is some benefit for this, but it's still a gross sin. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of people, they try to attribute uh, the smoking weed, getting high, uh, that it enhances their uh, belief, their spirituality. And while there might be some benefit, God is repeatedly telling us that their sinfulness far outweighs their benefit and that it's a gross sin. But again, God realizes that overnight people aren't going to be able to curb these addictions, especially if they spent years uh, uh, dealing with it. Uh, so God is creating a system, in essence, to reason with them, to use logic, and God willing, break them of this habit. And uh, flat out, you know, intoxicants uh, are prohibited in the Quran. And in 590 and 91, it says, Oh, you believe intoxicants and gambling and the altars of idols and the games of chance 
are abominations of the devil. You shall avoid them that you may succeed. So it's interesting that God uses this word. It says avoid them. Uh, this is the same word that God used when talking to Adam and Eve in regards to the tree. It doesn't say do not eat of this tree. It says avoid this tree, meaning do not like uh, um, just not have intoxicants. God is telling us to avoid intoxicants. Uh, it's a very strong uh, prohibition and it's something not to be taken lightly. And uh, what's interesting is this verse, it ties in intoxicants and gambling. So we know that from this verse that gambling is a uh, something that we need to avoid. And usually when people think of gambling, they think of casinos and blackjack and poker and this and that. But gambling is actually far more uh, encompassing than just that. And uh, uh, I'm going to read from a uh, paper written from uh, Professor Eric uh, Henner of the University of Toronto. He's a professor of uh, computer science over there. Uh, if you want to check out his paper, uh, just type in his uh, name, Eric Henner, so H-E-H-N-E-R, and he's at the uh, University of Toronto, and it's called, uh, actually I'm not going to give away the name just yet, but uh, it says, uh, gambling works as follows. It says, you pay some money to the house, then a random event is observed. It may be the roll of a dice, the draw of some cards, or the drop of some balls. Or maybe uh, not. Uh, it may not be a completely random event. It could be a horse race or a ball game. The important thing is that neither you nor the house controls or influences the outcome. Before the event, you and the house have agreed that if the event turns out one way, the house keeps the money you paid. And if the event turns out the other way, the house pays you according to an agreed formula. Now, suppose the house is an insurance company. The money you pay is called a premium. The event which neither you nor the insurance company controls is the, uh, that a fire will damage your home during the next year. If there isn't a fire, the insurance company keeps your premium. If there is a fire, the insurance company pays you the amount of the damage. The fits, this fits the gambling scenario exactly. Buying insurance is a form of gambling. So a lot of times, you know, again, God is, uh, when he says that gambling is prohibited, uh, that this is a, uh, a way of using the Quran efficiently, that God doesn't need to go and spell out every single form of gambling, that God can use this as a blanket statement, and it can encompass all forms of gambling. And insurance is probably one of the most subtle forms of uh, gambling that people still, on a daily basis, participate in. Now, the funny thing is, so much of the economy is dependent on uh, insurance. Uh, but insurance has been the problem of so many aspects of the, uh, the economy. Uh, in the United States, I mean, we can attribute so much of the healthcare crisis as far as the, uh, the prices that are paid, the inefficiencies to the concept of insurance. In uh, 2008, uh, the economic uh, crisis, uh, that was entirely attributed to the insurance companies uh, trying to offset risk. Uh, and in essence, just uh, had uh, formed the bubble that when it collapsed, it caused, they said, $64 trillion worth of insurance were on just homes alone. Uh, now, just to give you a perspective, at that time, that's roughly the GDP of the entire world, uh, right? So what's interesting is the comparison between uh, gambling and slavery. Now, slavery was once a predominant factor of an economy to the point that when slavery was uh, threatened to be abolished, many slave owners were concerned and people at large of the, uh, the sanctity of the economy at a whole. Now, when you tell people that insurance is a form of gambling and insurance needs to be uh, eventually uh, absolved from society, they look at you like you're crazy. 
you know, and it's not much different than what it was at the time of slavery. And God willing, we'll get to a time where insurance too is going to be looked at no different than slavery is today, uh, to the point that we're going to say that that's a relic of the past and we don't participate in that behavior anymore. Uh, but I'm going to continue on with the, uh, the paper. It says, insurance companies have worked long and hard and very successfully to convince us of the opposite, that insurance is not gambling. They say that if you don't have insurance, you're gambling. They talk about protecting us against fire, but fire is beyond their control. They cannot protect against fire. Perhaps they talk about protecting us from loss due to fire, but they can't stop the fire from burning your photos, nor can they limit the damage caused by the fire in any way. The only thing they can do is pay you money when a fire occurs. You know, what an insurance company does, in essence, is that they, they try to offset risk. But the reality is that they have no ability of offsetting anything. And all it is, it's a wager against, the, uh, against yourself where you believe you're going to head towards disaster and the insurance company is taking the other end of that wager and betting that you won't. Um, and in regards to fire, you know, insurance companies can't protect you from fire at all. But you know who can protect you from fire? It's God. And we see this in the example of Abraham. Uh, when Abraham destroyed the, uh, the idols, uh, the people band together to throw him into the uh, fire. Uh, they said, burn him. So this is chapter 21, verse 68 through 70. It says, they said, burn him and support your gods if this is what you decide to do. We said, O oh, fire, be cool and safe for Abraham. Thus they schemed against him, but we made them the losers. So God is the only entity in this world who can protect us from fire. God is the only entity in this world who can protect us from disaster. Uh, there is no insurance company. There is no entity other than God who has this capability. And the, the, the uh, paper continues on. It says, you, you've made a bet with them, the insurance company. You bet that the fire will occur, and they bet that it will not. If it does not occur, you lose the bet, and the premium is your loss. If it does occur, you win the bet, and they pay you. Perhaps the amount they pay you is the amount you lost in the fire. That way, it feels like they're paying you back. But the amount they pay you doesn't have to be the same as the amount you lost in the fire. And if you read the fine print, you see that it often isn't. You get whatever you and the insurance company have agreed to. Of course, an insurance company would never call it making a bet. They would say that they want to insure you against loss. But as you will see, they do a job of insuring that you lose. You know, the, the insurance companies are formed on the premise of uh, winning a bet. Right to the point that even if you do have to make a claim against the insurance, that they'll do everything in their power to make sure that you don't get paid out. Because to them, it's a zero-sum game, meaning that if you get a payout, that's at their bottom line. So they'll make every single excuse not to insure you when you need it. When you look at the 2008 uh, economic collapse, so many people had to foreclose their homes uh, because of medical uh, issues. And most of these people had insurance. Right? It was because the insurance refused to pay the payments that were due to them because any payment made out to a uh, recipient is a dollar of profit loss at the insurance company. And that's the way that they make money. No different than the uh, gambling casinos, right? Uh, the fact that you can walk into a casino with all their luxury, all their fancy uh, amenities means that they're making money off all these uh, individuals who are going in there making a wager. The house always wins. So we see that insurance is a form of gambling, but I don't expect tomorrow that everyone will follow the Quran and give up the insurance. But the hope is that uh, as we raise to a society that realizes it for what it does and decides to avoid this uh, unproductive form of economy. In addition, when we purchase insurance, we're showing that we are showing a lack of trust in God. So, you know, obviously we see that from these verses that insurance is a direct form of gambling. 
but in addition, it shows a lack of confidence in God. One of the, the, the uh, concepts of God is that God controls all provisions. When we buy insurance, what we're trying to do is we think that we can control the provisions. Meaning that if you think, you know, you can protect yourself from losing one dollar and you are destined to lose that dollar, irrespective of whatever you do, you will lose that dollar. Meaning that, let's say, for instance, I buy insurance uh, against uh, my house and I was destined to lose my house. It doesn't matter if I lose my house. Let's say I have fire insurance. I might lose it to an earthquake. If I have earthquake insurance, I might lose it to a tornado. I might lose it to God knows what. And the whole concept is that God is the one who controls provisions. No one else can control any provisions. If something is meant to, to uh, destined to, uh, to decrease or increase my provisions, no force other than God can uh, stop that. In 3439, so say, my Lord is the one who controls all provisions. He increases the provisions for whomever he chooses from among his servants or reduces them. Anything you spend in the cause of God, he will reward you for it. He's the best provider. You know, God is the best provider. He's the only provider. He's the best protector. He's the only protector. And this is uh, spelled out uh, numerous times in the Quran. You know, to think that we can avoid risk that a third party can take uh, over our well-being is the basis of uh, idol worship. And you think about the, 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 and there's a commercial, it's from an insurance company called Allstate. And it says, uh, the, the uh, tagline is, are you in good hands, right? And the reality is, Allstate cannot do anything for any of its uh, constituents. Uh, God is the only hands that are worth being into. And in 2388, it says, say, in whose hand is all sovereignty over all things? And he is the one who can provide help, but needs no help if you know. 3683, therefore, glory be to the one in whose hand is all sovereignty over all things, and to him you will be returned. 67.1, most exalted is the one in whose hand all is all kingship, and he is omnipotent. God is the hand that we want to be in. Not all states, not Geico, not any insurance company, because they cannot control one iota of what happens, what the provisions are, what the outcomes are. Uh, 3967 says, They can never fathom the greatness of God. The whole earth is within his fist on the day of resurrection. In fact, the universes are folded within his right hand. Be he glorified, he is much too high above needing any partners. You know, the insurance companies, they cannot offset any risk of hardship that is due our way. You know, if something is meant to happen, there's nothing you can do to shift that. And uh, 30, 13 verse 11, we read this in the beginning, but it's uh, going to emphasize on a different point of it. It says, if God wills any hardship for any people, no force can stop it, for they have made uh, they have none beside him as Lord and Master. And again, if God wills any hardship for any people, no force can stop it. There's nothing you can do. There's no insurance you can buy. The only insurance that is worth anything is the insurance that God provides to the believers. And by believing in God, by having reverence for God and dedicating our entire uh, uh, lives, our entire religion to God alone, that is the only way that we're going to be able to protect ourselves. In uh, 3322, uh, it says, When the true believers saw the parties ready to attack, they said, this is what God and his messenger have promised us, and God is a messenger truthful. This dangerous situation only strengthened their faith and augmented their submission. You know, it's not going to be easy to uh, eliminate insurance. For a lot of people, it's a lot of, uh, it's very uh, troubling, uh, both mentally, psychologically, but we need to get to the point where we have absolute 100% trust in God. And once we do, we realize that this insurance, it means nothing. You know, the believers did not get uh, life insurance before they went to battle. 
right? They didn't worry about their dependence. They knew that God alone provided for them. You know, when we're in God's kingdom, not only are we in the hands of the best protector, the best provider, but no harm will ever touch us. In 3173, it says, When the people say to, the, uh, to them, People have mobilized against you, you shall fear them. This only strengthens their faith. And they say, God suffices us. He is the best protector. They, and they have deserved God's blessings and grace. No harm ever touches them, for they have attained God's approval. God possesses the infinite grace. You know, insurance companies, they are founded on this principle of fear, right? They're constantly trying to put, uh, instill a sense of fear into people that, oh, if you don't have insurance, you're, you're, uh, anything can happen to your family, uh, your loved ones, your car, your home, and, and such and such. And this fear is actually a tool that the devil employs. And we have to realize that God is the only protector. God is the only provider. God is the only one who controls all provisions. Uh, if anything, any hardship is destined our way, there's no force in this world that can offset that. And uh, 3175 says, It is the devil's system to instill fear into his subjects. Do not fear them and fear me instead, You are, if you are believers. You know, to God belongs everything. Everything is controlled by Him. And nothing happens to us without His authorization. Uh, 3109 says, To God belongs everything in the heavens and everything on earth. And all matters are controlled by God. Uh, 4126, To God belongs everything in the heavens and the earth. God is in full control of all things. And, you know, taking all this in consideration, it's just, you know, it seems something. It seems so hard to absolve uh, a society and economy from insurance, but this was the exact idea uh, when uh, slavery was uh, prohibited, right? People have to come to this mindset that this is a empty, useless practice, and it's going to do nothing but uh, harm and damage an economy. And eventually, God willing, we'll get to a point where we won't need it. And, you know, for people who believe that this insurance can protect them, uh, God gives us the answer in 59.2. It says, He's the one who evicted those who disbelieved among the people of the scripture from their homes in a mass exodus. You never thought that they would leave, and they thought that their preparations would protect them from God. You know, it says, But then God came to them once they never expected, and threw terror into their hearts. Thus they abandoned their homes on their own volition, in addition to pressure from the believers. You should learn from this, O oh, you possessed vision. You know, in addition to all this, you know, we see that so much of the economic disasters, uh, be it in the healthcare industry, uh, be it in the housing industry, can be directly attributed to the insurance company. And um, it's something that, you know, inshallah, we'll be in a society eventually where this practice is going to be a relic of the past. And I'm um, going to end with a couple more verses. In uh, 10.107, it says, All power belongs to God. It says, If God touches you with a hardship, none can relieve it except He. And when He blesses you, no force can prevent His grace. He bestows it upon whomever He chooses. From among His servants, He is the forgiver, most merciful. Proclaim, O people, the truth has come to you here and from your Lord. Whoever is guided is guided for his own good. And whoever goes astray, goes astray to his own detriment. I am not a guardian over you. Follow what is revealed to you and be patient till God issues his judgment. He is the best judge. And 3160, if God supports you, none can defeat you. And if he abandons you, who else can support you? In God, the believers shall trust. So God willing, we're going to end there. And um, if uh, anyone's got any questions or comments, feel free to send us a note at QuranTalk at gmail.com or uh, hit us up at uh, TalkQuran on Twitter. Until next time. Peace and God bless.